Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, rotor operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together we want to share strategies and tools to make the industry thrive long term, not just survive. The best version of customer service is hospitality. It is the best version of customer service. And so many companies are trying to be hospitality. When we talked about Google, wow, look at the culture that Google has. It wasn't because they had bouncy chairs and foosball. That's not what they did. They were trying to create a culture of innovation. They were trying to create a culture of individuality within this machine. And the reality is it was hospitality. You were making yeah. people feel special. Full yeah. stop. The end. That's what they were doing. I'm feeling special. I'm feeling heard. I get to express myself. That's what hospitality is. We do that better than technology companies. We do that better than construction companies. We do that better than car companies. Why don't we do that? We need to do yeah. more of that internally. That's what's going to create a very unique and different culture within restaurants. That's what's going to have people say, I want to work in restaurants. I want my kid to work at a restaurant for their first job. I left the industry I want to come back because this is the type of culture I want to be a part of. I had never considered restaurants before. Now that I see that they invest in wages, benefits, culture, and education, and there's a real pipeline and trajectory to be a true professional, to be able to retire with 2.5 kids and the quote-unquote American dream or whatever it is that you want out of life, you're going to see people that go, I hate my 9-to-5 job in cubicle. I would love to work in an industry like that. And all of a sudden, we're going to be a pillar of both culture and commerce in our communities that currently we're just, we're not. And we could be. The guest we have today and I love quotes. We almost see them like a mini university for life and business. So let's start the intro today with one of my favorite quotes from the great John Wooden. The most powerful leadership tool you have is your own personal examples. And there will be more conversations around quotes in this episode. So watch out for great nuggets to come. But also, please meet Jensen Cummings, fifth generation of chefs and more than 22 years in the restaurant industry. And he's been recording more than 400 episodes on the Best Served podcast. He's now heading up the Best Surf Creative, which is a restaurant consulting and training company specializing in developing new models for restaurants. We dive into Jensen's fascinating story and what he learned by interviewing people on his podcast show. We discuss the need for hospitality to assess their business model and see if they're fit for the future and how they through them can prepare themselves better for the stormy weathers ahead in our industry. 
We discuss the most pressing issues in the industry and how they could be solved with a focus on how we can become better at attracting and retaining people. Jensen shares great insights on how he keeps himself effective as a business owner as well. If you want to get more insights on what Maverick leaders know and do, as well as more backstage info on the show, sign up for our weekly newsletter of Maverick Talk, five minutes each week that could transform your leadership and business forever. Find the link and sign up in the show notes or on hospitalitymavericks.com. This conversation, I'm quite sure, will make you reflect on your current business model and think about if it's fit for the new era of hospitality. Enjoy. Today's guest just threw me a challenge. She said, every time we communicate now, we need to, to throw a John Wooden quote. And we'll come back to John Wooden and who he is properly in this conversation. But I will start then, Jensen. Success is never final. Failure is never fatal. It's courage that counts. So happy to be here, Michael. Thanks. Do you say it's Churchill? Actually, I was looking at my notes I had on my, my notion. It said it was a, a John Wooden I actually picked up at some point. I think it's one of those quotes that, that Churchill, Wooden, I think Benjamin Franklin has been attached to that one. The one that I always remember is is Churchill in the context of, of World War II. But yeah, I mean, powerful, powerful quote. And failure is a huge part of our business, a huge part of my story, your story, our story. So that's a great quote. Good place to start. Well, there's also, you know, obstacle is the way back to, again, these people you just mentioned here, Churchill, John Wooden, they all, you know, they're all stoic philosophers as well and really believed in the stoic philosophy. So we decided to have this conversation because we want to talk about a new paradigm for hospitality. And we want to talk about especially the business model that needs to be changed. And there's a lot going on. And we can, of course, spend hours talking about all the challenges. I think most of the audience are very aware about the challenges they're facing. What I really wanted to, to do today is, first of all, set the scene. It was great to hear a bit more about your background because you, you know, have an interesting background, five generations in hospitality. And you- you are gluttons you for tried... punishment, Michael. <laughs> you tried a lot but just to give the audience a bit of sense of what is that where are you coming from what are you doing now and what mission are you on absolutely yeah my story i think a lot of people's story starts way before i was ever born as you mentioned fifth generation of chef restaurateur in our family we opened our first restaurant in 1900 in little falls minnesota called the fond house i've only seen pictures of it it looks like a, a wild west town, you know, and it's the it's the quintessential corner restaurant. If you could even call it a restaurant at that point, I think it was a saloon basically is what mm. it was. And then that, you know, led the family being a couple generations in San Francisco, restaurateurs and barmen there. And then my dad's three younger brothers have five, six restaurants across three different states my younger brother is also a chef. And we, we joke that his brothers and his sons are talented in the industry. Our dad literally can't boil an egg. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's funny how much it's, it's in my DNA. So it's, it's always been something where I've never been told to get a real job because our, our family's been successful in big air quotes. Again, we're gluttons for punishment in this industry. We've been, we've been drawn to hospitality. And so a lot of what we'll talk about Moving forward, my framework now is 
thinking about my kids and would I want them to be the sixth generation of our family to be a service in this industry? And a few years ago, my answer was, hell no, absolutely not. And a lot of it was the inequities that myself and, and our generation built into this industry. So I had to decide, mm. do I want to do something different or do I want to triple down? I, I tried to walk away like you have and so many of us have many times and it just sucked me back in. And so now the mission is really to kind of amplify the worth and work of those who feed their community, all of us, and amplifying the the worth, the business model side and the work that we do day in and day out is important. But the self-worth is probably the hardest part, Michael, to have people believe that what they're doing is meaningful and of value because mm. we tell ourselves all the time, you're only as good, good as your next plate up. Smile is part of your uniform. Leave your shit at the door, right? We perpetuate these tropes that are self-defeating so often and so speaking of, you know, in stoicism, I, I know that's something that's near and dear to you is we are so emotional, rightfully so often, but sometimes to our own detriment because we have this dream, we have this vision. And for somebody to say that your restaurant, your idea, your baby is ugly, that hurts. And so we make a lot of bad decisions. I made a lot of bad decisions in the trajectory, even though I was talented i knew how to run the numbers I, I had all of the boxes checked that should make for a good business i still struggled so that's kind of the the way that i'm approaching the industry now and trying to have a little bit of a perspective that i never had before you mentioned john wooden at a certain point i was that like hot shit chef who was on tv on radio in media all the time you know name and lights all of that and I bought in that, into that a little bit too much, and it put me on a steep trajectory, and then I burnt out. I could mm. not be the caricature of myself, and I think a lot of people in the industry deal with that. Now what I'm doing is I still have ego. I still deal with that every day. I still am ambitious, but I can't go to the Hall of Fame as a player. I'm trying to have that level of impact as a coach now. So now I have to do it as on the sidelines. And What does that look like and feel like? So John Wooden is a great example of somebody who had a massive impact from the sideline. That's me. And Jensen, so, so to give people a bit of context, what is what kind of work are you doing now, actually, to 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 be on the sideline? In principle, when you say John Wooden is, you know, how you're trying to get the best out of other people because that John Wooden was a coach, basketball coach for a very yes. famous team in in the U.S. UCLA. And for people that don't know basketball, just Google John Wooden and you will totally get he I can't you probably remember better than me, but it's like he's won more trophies than 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 anyone Love else. Other national titles, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, the work that I'm doing is is multifaceted. One of the things, Michael, that I realized is too much of our industry is siloed. We very much are speaking different languages. So I recognized early on as I transitioned out of being the chef owner of, of restaurants, that was that was my work. That was my worth. And so now we have multiple businesses, now four, four different entities. So we have strategy consulting work that we do at a high level. And this is for con growth concepts from inception that are, you know, you're investing a million, two million to $5 million is kind of the sweet spot. Because we're expensive. It's a hundred to three hundred fifty thousand dollars to engage in that business. That's why I do so much free content because I want to really impart something of worth and value and kind of give a roadmap to my my younger self, my young dumb self, 
to be able to have them have an opportunity. So that's why I do so much free content. So we have that consulting company. Literally, like last week, we we launched a new company called How to Restaurant Consulting that we're taking a lot of the big things that we do and scaling them down. I know we'll talk about that a little bit more, but that's a second business. Then we have this media business now, Michael, something I never thought I would do. We started in 2019 as just a, a little podcast called Best Served Podcast, and now we've produced over 500 uh, episodes of shows. We have multiple different brands within the shows that we do. We're doing content production, white label. We're doing media and marketing for other brands. So that's a, a completely wild new space to be in. And then we have an event production company that's been very quiet over the last three years because events have just not been happening. But actually, my wife really runs that. She produces both kind of high-end public-facing stuff as well as a lot of things for nonprofits, especially for for food access, childhood development, education, mm. things like that. So we're we're trying to be as vertically integrated into the into the things that it takes to kind of be a part of the hospitality industry. Yeah, and I guess you're still you're still in it then, especially with the events, because that's 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 a tough gig I know as well, running events and because they are, you know, happening maybe one or two days and all the prep and the the after work is exactly start. It's like launching a restaurant when you only open for a, a couple of days and then the show that is, is over. So true. We have an event coming up, which is a, a gala event, which will probably raise about two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in one night. So big, high expectations, right? We're bringing in top chefs from around the city, and my wife Betsy, her job is to kitten herd <laughs> all of these creative entities. And it's like kidding her, kitten herding with megalomaniacs who have knives. And and so she does an amazing job. And, and part of my job is to like really rally the chefs and be like, what the hell are you doing? Get us your menu. Okay, now that I see your menu, let's really make this the, the greatest event that we possibly can. And one of the things that's cool about the events that we do is, is they do raise so much money, but also they create so much community. So like this event we have coming up, We've raised over the years over $4 million for this organization that helps mm. underprivileged families with, with services that they need. And the culinary community has been a driving force for that. And I think we don't get enough credit for the altruism and the charity work that restaurants do. So you're right. It is like launching a new restaurant. And we have 15 different restaurants, all with different motivations, different expectations, mm. different styles, different languages. Again, mm. like I said, we're siloed. So my job now is to be a translator for people who think they're speaking the same language, but are speaking very different languages. And, and that comes into play in events, to your point, in a way that a lot of people don't realize. So I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Betsy's going to love that clip. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure we make a clip out of that, Jensen. So you you mentioned yourself, you mentioned the media company, all the interviews you've done. And in my preparation, I thought, you know, it'd be really, really interesting because you learn something that I, I know that myself talking with people, you start to see pattering, you start to see that's interesting. That's what the best of the best are doing. That's not what to do and so on. So what is like some of the key learnings you've had talking and interviewing all these people? Because it's suddenly a very different position than being in the operation, solving problem and asking questions about, how they're solving and listening to them and actually begin, you know, you begin coming the translator of challenges. You just said it, asking questions. It's the number one thing that I've learned is your ability to ask questions is the superpower. 
So when mm. I was the chef, my job was to have all the answers, mm. all the answers. What's the best technique for this? What's the best ingredient for that? Who's the best source for this? What's the best inspiration and backstory and, and, and all of those things. Now my job is to ask all the questions and I don't have all the answers. And anybody tells you they do, they're selling you something, right? They're fortifying their position. So the ability to ask questions and recognize those patterns and then be able to recognize smart answers and then be able to convince others that this is an answer that works for them. So we've been very monolithic. I mentioned we're siloed. We're also monolithic. The business model of a restaurant is not singular, but we've treated it singular. And we've all copied and pasted the exact same P&L and operating budget, the exact same prime cost dynamic, all of these things that were the way you're supposed to build a restaurant. I did that. And I failed more than I succeeded. And I ran businesses, high-end chef restaurants that dropped 11% to the bottom line, which is ridiculous. Fast casual concepts that dropped 19% to the bottom line, which is how you scale a concept like that. And still failed because I was so singular in that thinking. So asking questions. That's the number one thing that I suggest that anybody who's looking to get into opening a restaurant, who currently opens a restaurant, has a restaurant, needs to really, really ask the questions that nobody else is willing to ask that are challenging, that might have you question and doubt yourself, that might have you realize that you're doing a lot of things very wrong. And that's hard. It's really hard, Michael, to ask people to do that of themselves, to be a part of that process because it's personal and painful for them. But it's, it's the only way. It's the only way. One of the things that I tell anybody who's opening a restaurant, well, I'll, I'll take somebody I, I worked with recently, Scott Shadden, who's a really, really, really talented chef who's been very successful running concept after concept. Opened his own restaurant in Denver, Colorado called, called Terra Denver. And I told him that he is going to second guess and doubt and question everything that he's ever been good at in the industry. Mm. Because all of a sudden there is no safety net. It's you. That's it. You are the bottom line. And so the decisions you used to be good at that people paid you well to make, you're going to fumble with. And it's going to really, really challenge you. And then all of a sudden what you're going to do is you're going to overcompensate. And you're going to be overconfident in decisions that you shouldn't be confident in, that you should be looking outside of yourself, outside of your, your experience, your knowledge, your own circles. And you're going to insert yourself in decisions that you maybe shouldn't because you're overcompensating for that. So it's this very, very personal journey that you're going to go through of self-doubt and self-confidence. And that was really, really hard for people. And Scott, at multiple times, said, I just didn't know the questions to ask. I didn't understand the things that I didn't know. I had seen them happen. I had seen them work successfully. But when it was time for me to make that decision, I struggled with it. And the fact that Scott was so open to that, I know he's going to succeed, right? He may fail multiple times within that context of those micro failures. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's, that he's open to that, that he realized that, even though we fought about it, like to the point where I'm sure he wanted to fire our company multiple times. I just couldn't let go and, and just say, okay, well, you're paying me, so I have to back off. It's my job to sometimes get in the face of our clients or anybody in the industry because I know what it's going to mean if they do or don't. 
allow themselves to be open to asking questions. It's quite interesting. You, you touched a couple of elements that I really like the thing about asking questions, because I think also that's what, you know, as leaders, often we think we we can't be vulnerable. The ego comes in. You mentioned that at the beginning as well. We can't ask questions. And actually, our biggest job is to ask questions. And I experienced that myself and the business I'm involved in. Actually, having a diverse group of people, if they're advisors or whatever they are, that's asking you a question that you're in. It doesn't mean there's always that question is right, but that you should just take it on board and actually sort of tumble with the idea and pull yourself out of the engine. They, why did he ask that question or she asked that question? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm disagreeing, but maybe there's something right about it and actually explore it because I think many of the problems we ran into as an industry because we didn't ask questions around our business model. I think you were spot yeah. on when you said the copy page model. Well, we're just going to do what Starbucks and McDonald's have done. But you're not Starbucks and McDonald's, so you, you can't do whatever they did mm-hmm. because they also found their own algorithm of what is a good food waste? So good food waste in the United States for McDonald's is not the same as in countries in Europe. It's, it's, it's really it's different. embarrassingly different. <laughs> Here. Uh, you can learn from them, Michael. You should definitely learn from them. A lot of times the small independence kind of rebel mindset of a lot of restaurateurs says, well, I don't want to be corporate. I don't want to be a corporate stooge. What they do, that's not me. And so they run too far away from some of the things that do in fact work so both are a vulnerability copy and pasting the same old model is a major vulnerability that's been exposed and now we also need to recognize that sometimes going too far away from the scalable models that we see out there is also a vulnerability as well so i think it's being able to again take in as much information as much context, as much data, as much, you know, insight as you can, you mentioned advisors, as you possibly can, and patch that all together, just like you would build a recipe, and take something that you're good at, the idea of menu development, or building a recipe, or building steps of hospitality, take those skills that you have, and apply them to the way that you build the business model. You know, that's, I think, an an important part of this, is we think that The business is something that we're not good at because we're so great in the kitchen. We're so great behind the bar. We're so great at a host stand or table side. We think that that's what we're here to do. And the reality is that's the easy part. That's what you're naturally gifted at. The other stuff is the challenge. But we have a lot of skills that we do not apply. And, And it's hard This comes up a lot when people ask me about job skills. There's been a lot of people, Michael, who've come to me and said, I need to get out of this industry, but this is all that I know. Because so many of us, myself included, we get into this industry when we're 15, 16, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Nobody becomes an investment banker at 17, right? And so we sometimes stay in that adolescent mindset for far, far too long, myself included. And so when people say to me, this is all that I know, And I was like, well, tell me what you love about this. Tell me what you're good at. Tell me the spots in the restaurant where you find yourself because you just have that innate ability, that natural gift. And they tell me about these things. And then I give them context. Well, a tech company would love that because your ability to be hospitable and ask those questions of your guests to be able to give them a great experience. Imagine a salesperson being able to do that in the way that you do and not just sit here and list off features and functions of this vertically integrated end-to-end solution that's 
optimize for blah, blah, blah that a tech company does. Well, you have the ability to understand what people are looking for from an experience standpoint. That is an incredibly transferable and valuable talent that you have. And so that's part of it is we just don't understand the context of the gifts that we have and we do not apply them to the business model. We run away from it quite often. So you look at a lot of business models and I'm always been very fascinated in what I tried to bring into to my roles because very early on I was very lucky to to meet somebody to learn me around the importance of an, an individual business model for your organization. It's not an algorithm you're taking from McDonald's or Starbucks. You need to invent your own. You have to understand the metrics that drives it and the culture that you need to build to deliver that. So, so what, when you see a great business model, what is the science? That's a great question, and I don't have a good answer yet. I'm still taking in information on that. Here's, here's what's the most unique part about a great business model is when I ask or push back on any part of it, that there's a thoughtful response. So again, it's asking questions. When I see something, I was like, this is an interesting business model. This is an interesting way to, to do service or to do online ordering or anything. I, I ask them why. Like, why did you do this? How did you end up getting to this point? And if they don't have an answer to this, then it's happenstance. And if they don't, the way you do anything is the way you do everything, right? Mm. Is kind of something that that I think about a lot in restaurants. And so if they have good answers to the questions about the unique parts of the business model that are disruptive or new or unique or customized to their business, then I know that they're taking that level of thought and creativity at every point. What I think is most challenging from our perspective now as somebody who has developed a lot of business models that varied by 0.5% for, for five, six, seven, eight years all the businesses that I created, even if they were different, they were really different by a half a degree. And I pretended and we pretended like they were radically different and unique. The reality is they weren't. Now what's starting to happen and needing to happen is every restaurant model has to be its own model. We have to start to, to buck the trends of this is, this is fast casual. Where, whereas, are you quick serve? Are you quick casual? Are you fast casual? Are you hybrid? Are you optimized for delivery? Is delivery secondary or primary to your business? Like all of these things are, are pretty important questions. Are people ordering off an app? Are they ordering from a touchscreen? Are they ordering from a person? Is this a queued line where they're selecting items as they go? Or are they off ordering off of a menu? Are they selecting multiple items off of a menu? to a person, all of these are very different downstream effects, the way that you brand and market, the way you position that business, the locations that you have for real estate, the size of the footprint, the, the culinary development, the price point, the, the food waste, the technology, the equipment, these are all different and need to be different. They may end, you may end up cross utilizing certain things and utilizing equipment mm. or technology that other types of business models do, of course, you have to understand that each of those things that I just rattled off at you, those go through my head every time I talk to anybody. And if you don't have answers to those questions, when I ask, why do they order off the menu versus them ordering off of a touchscreen? Why do they select three or four things versus it being a preset item? 
all of those things change your business model significantly. And that's very different than anything we've done before. Do we, as I probably know the answer to this question, but I would like to ask it anyway. It's a good question then. Do we actually as leaders and operators in this industry spend enough time of thinking and reflecting on the business model? And I'm not saying we need to take time out every week, four hours and not doing because we are really an action oriented industry, which is really our strengths. You saw that in COVID, how quickly things can change. At the same time, you also mentioned all the good and charity work that was done at the same time as you were you know, people saving their their businesses. But coming back to it again, do we really, in your view, take the time that needs to be thought about the future? It doesn't mean I'm not talking about a three, five year plan, but I'm talking about the positioning of where you're going and actually start slowly evolve your business so you don't have to make these drastic changes as a pandemic will force on you? Short answer is no, we do not. I remember for myself that I was such a good counterpuncher. We mm. are so reactionary, and this is a strength. This is a strength. We are so reactionary. We are so in the moment. Unlike maybe any other businesses, you are in the you have to be in the moment because you have 30 seconds to get that scallop to the window. You have 20 seconds to be able to put a bev nap in front of that guest to, to know that they're marked. You have 15 minutes to reset a guest clock. You have 45 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes to turn that table. We are always thinking in these short snapshots, right? First course, second course. There's strength in that. We are in that moment. We are able to put out fires in real time, unlike any other business that I have ever seen. And so there's strength in that. What that means, though, is we spend all our time, effort, focus, money in that space which means we are constantly in the shit we are in the minutiae all the time michael and it gets really hard to see the forest through the trees sometimes and take a step back and get a little bit of a bird's eye view we do not do that i never did that my superpower was being able to solve every problem instantaneously in real time people would come to me and i was the most stoic there, I would say, I'm going to solve this problem, no matter what it is, a guest problem, an equipment problem, the, you know, the oven pilot light goes off, we fix it, the hood stop working, we fix it, we run out of an item, we fix it, a guest has a complaint, we fix it, the wine chillers broke, we fix it, all of it, Michael. So we're yeah. really good at that. It just means that there's no bandwidth left. There's nobody who is spending any time or effort saying, why are we doing these things? Is it the best approach or is it just the way we've always done it, which is my least favorite trope that we perpetuate? Anybody tells me, well, that's just the way we do it. I lose my mind, Michael. I absolutely lose my mind because I think it's a huge vulnerability. So we don't spend enough time and effort on that at all. My mom used to tell me something that I remember. She's of the generation that saw the moon landing as a kid, mm. right? So it was very, very impactful for her. And something like the moon seems impossible, impossible to get to the moon. And if there's a problem out there, you, have, you must have to take these major, drastic, life or death actions and make those decisions in a second, right? The reality is to get to the moon, 
you have to make 10,000 corrections of 0.000001 degrees. That's how you get to the moon. And I always remember that because too often we overreact because, again, we're emotional about it. This is our mm. dream. This is our vision. This is our baby. And a lot of times it's 10,000.00001 degrees. Yeah. The problem is we're stuck in that capsule and we need mission control. We need Houston allowing us to have a little bit of a vision of our overall trajectory. And that's where having that vision, having that why, having that mission is so important and being able to take perspective. And we just don't do enough of that because we're stuck in the capsule. It's really interesting because, as you know, I'm really interested in what are the the mavericks, the best of the best doing. And actually, one of the first patterns I saw there was there was a clarity of purpose and direction, and it was continued development. And in the U.S., you have a brilliant organization. They even have written about how they do this. This is Singerman's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that talks about visioning and the importance of that for their organization and how they break down visioning from the the organization, but all the way down to the individual employee in their lives. So now the whole visioning technique has become a way of ch helping communities, charities, has even gone to Africa to ask, you know, she chocolate is really interesting. They have actually made a leadership, you can say, practice that's now involved into that. And it was really interesting. What other thing I was reflecting on is like what I've seen as well and really reflected on as I've been asking questions on my podcast show is also is that you know we we live in a, an industry with long-term problems systemic issues mm. we're solving but we use short-term thinking to so solve them which exactly mean exactly that right. you become very emotional decisions you said and therefore you're not really moving the dial so 12 months later you know further you're yep. still paddling right. around in the same problems is that like when we talk about problems it's like is it like there is there like an issue jensen you would like to be solved and what would that issue be and what would it mean if we could solve that for the industry you mentioned zingerman's and you know shout out to ann arbor michigan some great things happening there i think at g hey kim miss kim who's also part of the zingerman's family a brilliant brilliant restaurant tour somebody i've gotten to talk to and know and it's all about the people it's all about mm. what i call those unsung hospitality heroes we have spent so much time getting good at hospitality for our guests that we leave none for ourselves and it's the number one problem and and look we've seen it externally there's a labor shortage the reality is there's a culture shortage of mass scale restaurants are not a great place to work and it's been exposed and now we're really reeling from that we're grappling with what does that actually mean for our industry and so that's the biggest problem that i see and i didn't understand the responsibility of leadership i i did not understand that it was not my job to have all the answers and to be able to push us somewhere to your point i think when you have a strong vision it's a it's a destination on the horizon and your job is not to push mud uphill to prove that your vision is a destination worthy of trying to get to a goal, trying to achieve. And we do that a lot in this industry. And everybody who's along for that journey is collateral damage. And so I struggle with that a lot. And it's one of the things with the, the how to restaurant consulting that we just spun off is I wanted to start to do those smaller 
individualized bits of of consulting or strategy work or just one-on-one sessions with people or with my team and so we started to think about what is the problem that we actually have in the restaurant labor business model and there were lots of things well our percentages are this well we don't do benefits and pay and and we said okay well we need to develop wages benefits culture and education those are the four pillars that we believed in and so we we applied all these numbers we have great ways of developing that business model we can basically tell you now you're an employer of choice at xyz level and that was really valuable but we did that on paper and we moved pieces around a chessboard and that wasn't good enough for me so i wanted to i felt like i didn't ask enough questions so michael i i do what i do i go on social media mostly and i ask questions i ask dumb questions a lot and i'm willing to have people go well obviously it's this or why would you ask that it's plain as day but i ask those questions because i think the only stupid question is the one you don't ask Hmm. so i've asked tens of thousands of dishwashers and bartenders and hosts and line cooks questions about what do you like or dislike about the hiring process the interview process resumes what makes a great boss a horrible boss i've asked owners what makes a great co co-worker an employee all of these questions and we broke this down and and i'll have to say i'll have to send people to howtorestaurantconsulting.com and check out our blog because i broke this down because one of the things that came up was 75 percent of people were not showing up to interviews so i said let's take this micro problem and we identified that there were three major issues that restaurants were having not enough people applied to jobs not enough people showed up to interviews and not enough people accepted jobs said okay fine let's attack those problems and then we asked employees again what what are all these issues that you're having well they felt like they they weren't treated like humans their time wasn't valued and there wasn't clear expectations of the process. And in each of those three issues that the restaurant had and the three issues that employees have, we just look for the pattern. Where's the intersect? Where's the disconnect? So we created a new model for the interview process. And we had one of our clients, we worked on it with them. And so we're going to do a completely different hiring model. Of course, they were uncomfortable because they had never done that before in their past experience in restaurants. And we went to from 75% no-shows to 88% of interviews completed mm. in a basic, like, okay, we came up with this in two weeks. I was like, let's just do something different. Here's all this information that we have. And one of the main things that I did, and I did this because I wanted to personally touch the process. I did this for every single interview in the initial phase of the process. When my team fed me, somebody was like, here, here's somebody we think is a viable candidate. I grabbed my phone, this thing right here that has more computing power than the computers that got the first men to the moon right here in our in our hands which we undervalue and underutilize all the time and i picked it up and i said hey michael i'm excited to be doing your 10 minute chat interview over the phone tomorrow and i saw that you worked at hospitality mavericks i think they do really really great work and i'd love to talk to you more about it two o'clock tomorrow and you know see that that took me about 12 seconds and a little bit of give a shit yeah, the amount of people that showed up and about 75% of the people that showed up made mention of that video. That, that took me no effort, Michael, to do just a little bit of thought because I want to treat them like a human. 
I wanted to not have somebody pick up their your resume for the first time when they're talking to you because they have no idea who you are and you're just a piece yeah. of paper, and, but they really want you to work here. And I wanted to have clear expectations. I'm going to be talking to you as a 10 minute chat tomorrow at two o'clock, you know, set reasonable, clear, simple expectations. I'm the one you're talking to. You can see me. I'm a human. I care enough about you to be able to know where you've worked and tell you what time the interview is tomorrow and how long, you know, and it's a phone interview. So that's, those are the little things. That's like an encapsulation for me that I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that we can do work like that because it means that my goal of amplifying the worth and work of those who feed their community is meaningful because those people are not feeling like they are, their work is valued, their worth is valued. And so that that's a way that we can solve a problem. And unfortunately, Michael, I've told hundreds of restaurateurs this and the vast majority of them tell me stuff like, well, they're not going to show up for an interview. So why would I waste my time? I was like, well, you're right. You are manifesting exactly the outcome that you are putting forth. Yeah. And you're going to be right. And the universe will give you that. That's normally how it works. (laughs) It will reciprocate. And it's really interesting how you also talk because what I see you doing there as well, and I can tell a little bit story where I did something different. And at that time, there was not the camera didn't work on mobile phones, but I did something very different in the process because there was not people didn't go to the, the interview. But I'll come back to that in a second. It's really interesting how you take hospitality from the customer and start to give that to the employee experience as well because you're actually saying welcome like you will maybe send an email or text to the guest we're looking forward to see you tomorrow and some people are actually using video today and say hey i'm josh your waiter tomorrow It'd be great looking forward to to see you in the restaurant any question just send us a, a message here we have the table ready for you okay. in the principle the same thing you do here and i did something that meant actually you know we we did interviews over two steps in, in the place where i was operations director and i said i'm gonna and I want to solve this problem where you had into you and then you don't get them to come back to the second interview. That was our problem. And we wanted the second interview because we wanted two people to look at this candidate. So we wanted a manager and an employee. And the second interview was actually just walking around the workplace with the employee. The employee told them how the culture was there. And we had a little book called the culture book. You can have that. Before you make a decision, go home and read that. But we didn't did that second with all our great candidates. So we had like a rating system and then they came out and I got that report every day. So I decided I'm going to call them the day after they've been for the interview. And then I call, I'm Michael. I'm the, I'm the responsible for the organization here. I heard that it was a really good impression is that I want to hear what your experience was. And I was sometimes told things like, oh my God, did that really happen? Did they really... Right. Not, they would let you wait for an hour and they didn't communicate right. with you they didn't give you a drink you know so then i could go back and rectify that hospitality experience because we were looking for that and the best people of course thought i'm not going to spend my time on this it's going to be a useless manager if that's the core the quality because the first interview was always with the manager and that also made the organization understand the importance of creating that experience from day one when people join to the day the end will be you know somebody very senior very interested in this and that's not what i've in general have seen on the people journey i don't know if you when we think about people's strategy into the business model we, we came from business model 
but often I don't. We talk a lot about people first, but I don't see the the you know you haven't put your you know, as Stephen Pressfield would say, you haven't put your ass where the work needs to be done because there's there's, there's no strategies and there's no like clear process of what is that to make our people journey unique compared to others. I'm not. I'm being very general here. Of course, there's some that's doing a brilliant job on this, but in general, I see that missing that link with the business model. I don't know if you see the same as well. Not really thought about. It's an afterthought. We're just going to invent it on the go. Well, what you just mentioned, I think, is critical. You mentioned that you followed up after that first day and, and you learned a lot. You asked hard questions and was uncomfortable. And you had to then have hard conversations with those managers or whomever has instilled that process. And you, they had to wait for an hour. We heard that all the time. You didn't value their, their time. Well, what if this person lives six miles away? They don't have a car. Because restaurants don't pay enough. So they have to take public transportation. They had to get all dressed up. So maybe they had to go pay to go get their hair done or their makeup done or whatever to feel like they were a presentable professional. They also booked three other interviews while they were downtown because it, it's quite a trek for them to get down there. And now they have to decide, am I going to stay here for 45 minutes because my next interview is coming up in about 15 minutes? Do I leave? Well, that person leaves. Then what, what happens with another restaurant? This person is a flake. They're not worthwhile. They just took off from an interview. How unprofessional could you be? The reality is they're having to make decisions for their own life, their own livelihood. So when you follow up that next day, you're again, you're deploying a strength that we have in restaurants. If you drop food at a table, you don't not come back and check on them. You check on them to make sure they have everything that they need that it was cooked to their satisfaction, that exactly they are having the experience that you've laid forth and said, this is the vision that we have for this. But you wouldn't follow up on an interview. Why? Why wouldn't you give that guest, that inter potential internal guest, the same respect and due hospitality that you would a guest? You're really good at that follow-up to reinforce mm -hmm. how right they were to decide to order that dish. How great that, blackberry gastrique goes with those scallops you were right they were right we now have more rapport and we don't do that with them and you mentioned the handing of the the culture handbook the reality is culture does not start when you have an employee that works for you that now they have a w2 coming their way it starts from them looking at your instagram your website the applying for a job on linkedin the yeah. first interview, the second interview, all of that, that's culture. And we have defined our culture as being lackluster to say the best. And we, again, restaurants are not a great place to work is what people are telling us. So what are we going to do differently? Apply the strengths we already have. Have some self-hospitality. Have some hospitality within the entire process not turn people into bodies and hands because they're expendable and they're not going to show for interviews. So why put in any effort or care? Yeah. If you did that to guests, they would not show up for their reservations. No. And it would be very and clear so, what would happen over time for you. And I think it's again, coming back to that, like positioning the employee journey as important as the guest journey, because else it will never be even. I think we've just been lucky that it hasn't happened before it did in a way that the whole, Great 100% right. 
because we were the cool kids cycle from from about to, i call it the food network effect right it's from and i call it that because others have called it that i did not coin that about 2000 when i got into the industry when food network and Bourdain and some of those people were starting to get some attention we had this steep trajectory we went from being misfits or the island of misfit toys and rebels and what what Bourdain called pirates for better or worse we didn't find our purpose in the way that a lot of other people did we didn't want the nine to five the cubicle the suit and tie the college we wanted something different and, and I know when I found the kitchen I was like this is it like I found my people and we went from that to all of a sudden we were the cool kids and I didn't I did not know how to handle that and a lot of us didn't know how to handle that as individuals and we definitely didn't as an industry and so all of a sudden I remember being invited to sit in the players area for Colorado Avalanche hockey games or you know hanging out with the players at after parties things like that this is too weird this is not this is not what i expected and this is not what had happened for the first 5 6 years of my career but around you know 2005 6 7 8 9 10 all of a sudden there was this boon and we were the cool kids and we didn't know how to handle it and so we made a lot of poor decisions and we started to value things that we shouldn't have and now quote unquote kids these days are saying well you're the establishment now. So we went from being outcast to cool kids to the establishment. We are the new cubicle and suit and tie. And we do not like the fact that kids these days are calling us out for that. And so we're blaming them and saying, well, they're not as dedicated or motivated. The reality is they're not willing to go through the same bullshit that we did and call it a badge of honor. They're like, that's stupid and toxic. Why would I, why would I do that? For what? Mm. What mm. vision? What are you what are you offering me? Mm. And so they have options, way more options. They're like, why would I go to a restaurant that's going to nickel and dime me down to $13 an hour, overwork me, not care about me through the interview process or any part of this process? And and then and then give up my not only my like livelihood. You're also giving a piece of yourself because it's such a creative expression as well. And then we blame them when they say, you know what? I'm just going to go flip stuff on eBay or I'm going to take my family's lumpia recipe and sell them direct to consumer on Instagram. I don't need you as a gatekeeper for my culinary journey anymore. Thank you, chef. Mm. That's And that's hard for a lot of us to grapple with. So we have to like really, really come to terms with that. And again, we have superpowers. We have hospitality. I see so many other industries right now, Michael. I know you see it too, that are trying to learn how to be better at hospitality. You know, they'll call yeah. it customer service and things like that. The best version of customer service is hospitality. It is the best version of customer service. And so many companies are trying to be hospitality. When we talked about Google, wow, look at the culture that Google has. It wasn't because they had bouncy chairs and foosball. That's not what they did. They were trying to create a culture of innovation. They were trying to create a culture of individuality within this machine. And the reality is it was hospitality. You were making yeah. people feel special. Full yeah. stop. The end. That's what they were doing. I'm feeling special. I'm feeling heard. I get to express myself 
That's what hospitality is. We do that better than technology companies. We do that better than construction companies. We do that better than car companies. Why don't we do that? We need to do yeah. more of that internally. That's what's going to create a very unique and different culture within restaurants. That's what's going to have people say, I want to work in restaurants. I want my kid to work at a restaurant for their first job. I left the industry. I want to come back because this is the type of culture I want to be a part of. I had never considered restaurants before. Now that I see that they invest in wages, benefits, culture, and education, and there's a real pipeline and trajectory to be a true professional, to be able to retire and with 2.5 kids and the quote unquote American dream or whatever it is that you want out of life, you're going to see people that go, I hate my nine to five job in cubicle. I would love to work in an industry like that. And all of a sudden we're going to be a pillar of both culture and commerce in our communities that currently we're just, we're not, and we could be. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think it was Danny Meyer that said that in business and life, the only thing that really matters is how you make other people feel something in, in that, on that road. I love this. We're just going to quote, how about Maya Angelou? People forget what you did and what you said, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. We yeah. could do this all day, Michael. I love this. We <laughs> just just have the whole episodes where we do nothing but quotes back and forth. My yeah. my dad, my brother and I do that with movie quotes. We get together. It's just one run on movie quote. Betsy says, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. It's hilarious. I love it. Yeah, I think it's hilarious as well. And I think like those of us are called the mini university as well, because quotes are very powerful if you actually think about the quote and just think, oh, that's cool. But I have to think about what was actually the intention behind that quote, what kind of reflection has gone into that quote. Uh, a couple more questions before we run off. Your top advice for leaders out there trying to build, you know, a great business, but also be a force for good in the world today. What is the, the top advice you would give them away? Oh, man. Start really small. Really, really small. I, myself included, I think we are so ambitious. We so want to build the next great growth concept. This idea that's going to change or revolutionize the game and have that on the vision board have that be a part of the mission but start really small find that that one place that one community where you can make an impact find that one or two other people that truly believe in the same vision that you have and really try and create culture with them so i would say have this big macro vision change the world change the industry change yourself and then go really, really small. And what is the smallest amount of change and progress that you can make? And that's really hard. I struggle deeply with that, Michael. I'm such a futurist and visionary that I forget to take the first step. Yeah, and I think that's I that. an important. And that's a I love that. And that's really important. You know, what are the twenty percent that gives you eighty percent now? What is the smallest step you can do to progress? that 1% today. And I think we often, you know, as entrepreneurs, we forget that we get hung up of what it could be, but you actually need to deal with what's happening right here today as well. Uh, where can people check out all your great works? You know, the, the amounts of interviews you've done, the, the, all the free content, and if they want to connect with you, what's the best to do? I love just email me or DM me directly. Jensen at bestservedcreative.com. Ryan Reynolds said that I'm weirdly available. I love that quote 
because there was a point where I am so busy. I'm getting inundated all the time. Like literally, I'm sure as soon as I turn my phone back on after this interview, I'll have 112 emails and 16 DMs on Instagram and four comments on TikTok. But I respond to everything, everything. It is something that I like truly, truly believe in. If you comment on one of my posts on social, I will like it. I will respond to it. It's important to me. And so email me directly. I'm weirdly available. I'll find a way to get back to you. And then on social, I'm really active. So best serve podcast on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn. You'll find me there at Jensen Cummings is is where I'm putting up a lot of stuff as far as what's happening across the industry today. And then as far as our websites, besserpodcast.com, you can find some great blog posts written by Unsung Hospitality Heroes. We pay $86 an article for anybody in our industry. I've had servers, bartenders, line cooks write articles. That's more than some of the periodicals pay for, for professional writers to write. So it was important for us to invest in people. And, and then howtorestaurantconsulting.com. Definitely go check out that article on flipping 75% no-shows to 88% interviews completed. That's a really, really strong kind of snapshot of our approach. And there's a couple little small services. Like we're starting to do like one-off strategy sessions for people. And, and we do some business assessments. So new business assessments and existing business audits. So we're spinning off some smaller services that I mentioned. How to restaurant consulting is the spot for that. So those are some of the top places to to connect. I'm everywhere though. I'm omnipresent, Michael. <laughs> good, good, good. We'll put all, all some of all that in the, in the show notes for people as well. Jensen, thank you for, for taking the time to come on the show, share your insights around business model, the importance of strategy, stepping out of the box to see the future, ascending you and the team power and energy for, for the journey ahead. Michael, thanks for the work that you're doing. I mean, all of us have more courage to be Mavericks because people like you are out there, like championing, being willing to put your voice out there. It's meaningful, you know, and sometimes when you're in the podcaster world, when you're in the entrepreneurial world, it's quiet, it's lonely because you're out here in a, in a box trying to make a difference. So I appreciate you. And I know your audience appreciates you as well and appreciate them for tuning into what you're doing because they're out there being willing to look outside of themselves and that that's the first that's that first little step that changes everything so thank you to you thank you Jensen. i really appreciate that you're listening in so if you enjoyed today's conversation please share with others rate or give a review or subscribe to one of our channels which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is the key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others, and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bitsimply.com or on their socials at bitsimply or bitsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bitsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. 
I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick. <laughs>